Who the hell knows what that is? But this old house once but, knew my children. Oh. This old house once knew oh, my wife. Well, we know this now. old house was home and comfort. <laughs> okay. Perfect, perfect. With almost 50 years of combined experience in the real estate brokerage, investment, and construction industries, and with radio, television, podcasts, magazines, and books under their belts, the hosts of Broker Talk, Larry Lawfer, and myself, Jim Lowenstern. We're here to answer all your questions related to all things real estate each and every week. How you doing, Larry? I'm doing pretty good, Jim. We've got a great show for us, uh, for our audience today. Uh, we have John Petralia in the house, and he's the uh, principal broker of Petralia Real Estate. But more importantly, he's the editor and publisher of Antique Homes Magazine. And as we know, here in New England, we have many, many homes that go back into even the 1600s. So uh, welcome aboard, John. Are you happy to be here? Great to be here. Great to be in New England this time of year, especially. Oh, absolutely. The fall in New England is unique and special, and we're right in the middle of it, and it's just beautiful out there. Now, what drove you to um, love and, in fact, dedicate so much of your personal life and career to antique homes, John? Well, it's interesting. I, I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is a very historic area uh, just north of Philadelphia. And I probably had a love of archaeology and old things as a kid. I remember uh, going to do some urban archaeology bottle digging with my dad when I was probably just a teenager and uh, kind of uh, grew up around old buildings. Um, when I moved to Massachusetts in 1980, um, I was in the part of the Commonwealth in Worcester, Mass., and uh, started my real estate career. And Worcester, as you know, is uh, quite an old city, and um, I kept gravitating towards the uh, antique stock that was available on the market and soon realized that that was really my niche, and I loved both architecture and uh Old buildings. You know, so John, that's probably uh, where I got my start. Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, you and I have not, never met, but we've talked on the phone. I am from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, born and raised. Wow. And I moved around the corner from me. Yeah, where, where actually did you go to Central Box? <laughs> I went to Neshaminy High School. Okay, so now I know the area uh, that you were in. But that you were absolutely right. There are so many incredibly old and beautiful homes uh, in that area. My dad was a home delivery milkman, so part of my love of homes came from actually going inside homes and delivering milk early in the morning before I went to school. Um, the... Uh, New home people are different than the people who love old homes. Do you have a particular style of home, or uh, you just like the ones that are old? Well, I I, I love the tapestry of uh, the variety of styles that appear throughout New England. We, As you know, from the first period through all the different revivals, we have a plethora of really unique, interesting truly American architecture. The um, 
if I look at the houses that I have been in, I I have only gone back in time. I I was born um, and uh, raised in a small house in Levittown, which was brand new at the time, Levittown being one of the first uh, builders of large tract homes after World War II. And when I landed in Massachusetts, my first house was an 1851 Gothic Greek Revival style home. Um, And I have only gone back in time. My uh, last home was circa 1780, a great uh, intact center chimney um, that really was not only architecturally intact, but had its um, landscape and streetscape preserved as well. So it really had the feel and flavor of what I think a lot of people think captures the spirit of New England, which is the rural character and uh, the look and feel with stone walls and winding country lanes, which is part of our architectural heritage. It, it absolutely is. Um, I was on your website, antiquehomesmagazine.com, just recently, and one of the things I really enjoyed about it is um, on your first page, you uh, talk about the architectures through the years, and you can drill down and understand a little bit more of that. One of the questions I get from people all the time, John, is how can I bring today's uh, new technology into my old building with very thick walls? What well, you... Actually, I'm, I'm probably a pretty good test of that in my 1780 house. I'm kind of a, a gadget guy and an energy geek and uh, try to stay on the cutting edge. Yet, it's a balance between preservation and uh, adapting new technology. All good preservation starts with understanding that the, the building materials are sacrosanct. Um, so uh, preservation, good preservation means reversibility. So whatever you do in bringing new technology on, you have to make sure that it isn't damaging the original fabric of the house that it's not doing harm to the structure itself um, and hopefully doesn't uh, detract from the historic look and feel of property. That being said, it's it's pretty easy to introduce modern heating, modern plumbing, modern lighting, um, and certainly high-speed everything. Um, you know, with today's Wi-Fi, uh, it's much easier because everything is um, essentially um, non-wired, so you don't have a lot of uh, physical intrusion into spaces in order to make it work. Um, it brings up an interesting point, which I like to point out to both uh, clients and future customers uh, and anybody who loves an old house, is it is essentially an extremely green experience. Now, it may seem uh, contrary to that when people imagine an old, drafty old house. But if you think about it, an 18th century house, Larry, was uh, built 
in a time period when all the materials were sourced locally, uh, usually right on the property or nearby in the same community. There were no power tools involved so that there was no giant carbon footprint in creating the structure. If that same house is still in use today, which many are, um, it has had an extremely long life, so it's had durability and longevity and reusability. When you factor in all of those pieces, um, it's really a, a part of uh, thinking about it in a uh, how green the, the footprint really is. We had a guest on uh, a number of months ago, uh, uh, Steve Snyder, and he owns a company called Green Phoenix, and his whole uh, niche is taking these old homes and and making them completely LEED certified, which is the highest level of energy efficiency. Um, now the the older homes they were they are a little bit leaky because those windows are single pane you know and they're usually uh sitting in channels not uh in wood so uh once you replace those it does button up really uh really well uh is that have you found that to be true well i'm 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 a i'm a real preservationist so i'm not uh a fan of wholesale removal of historic windows unless they are um, one, second or third generation, so they're no longer the original sash, or two, their functionality is, uh, or their condition is so poor that they can't be restored. Um, there are techniques, and I use them all the time. I do a fair amount of preservation consulting work, and we use both exterior and interior storm panels that will give you the air tightness and the air feel that you need to really bring your window up to a modern energy standard without losing the original glass and the original sash. So there are lots of uh, materials and uh, tools in the toolkit, so to speak, to uh, retrofit your windows uh, without losing that historic element. So, John, the windows are the soul of a building. If you uh, haul out and don't replicate or um, use a quality uh, window back in the space, you're kind of losing part of the character and detail of the house. So, John, this is Jim. Uh, <clears throat> aren't there ways to um, have custom-made windows mimic the look of the original window, and then you have the insulation properties Otherwise, you may never take those storm windows off and never be able to open your window. And you'll be using air conditioning, of course, and heat, and that's fine. But what, what's wrong with having a custom-made window to duplicate exactly what was there originally? And, and one other question. No. Uh, the glass, yeah. gl I mean, glass is, even though looks solid, it's really a slow-moving liquid. So over you know, the centuries, and we're talking about centuries-old houses now, there's going to be rippling in, in that. And, I mean, eventually the glass is going to fall out of the pane anyway. What, what, what do you say about, you know, replacing glass in general? So it's like two questions there. Sure, sure. Well, number one, there, there certainly is, uh, for, for instance, I'm, I'm in a 
right now my office building is a 1810 brick federal and it had third generation windows so the original federal windows were gone and i had maybe 1940s sash that were not particularly functional single glazed windows um those were replaced with uh divided light wood windows um with um a high quality uh thermopane uh window and so there are manufacturers that can replicate very carefully to the national um the secretary of interior standards so that they can meet uh the standards within a historic district so there there are a number of manufacturers um it gets trickier when you get into um the level of net zero or um net positive building styles because those windows are um typically triple glazed they're also tilt and turn and uh a more casement style windows so it it gets a little tricky as you upgrade to the ultimate zenith of uh energy conservation but that's not necessarily what old houses are all about um if you want something that's super energy efficient uh or super energy efficient you may not be looking at an old house that's not really the driver well you can certainly live very comfortably in an old house even with older windows um an example is my 18th century farmhouse which i recently sold it had sash from 1780 nine of them were extremely well preserved and i kept those as examples of the original architecture i had 20 additional sets of sash manufactured to match the original sash and um to most eyes they can't tell the difference between them and that gave me full functionality with 20 windows to be able to open and operate uh with ease while still retaining the eight or nine original sash with that beautiful wavy old glass which I don't think is a defect I see it as part of the character uh, okay so John so, so so you you believe and this is why I'm I need education uh there are people that are looking specifically for an older home when they go out and shop they're looking for an antique home and the reasons why they're looking for that is the style the materials the moldings the charm they grew up in a Absolutely. house like that all all of those hit a lot of the tick buttons when i get a lot of uh potential buyers that call antique homes or uh through my real estate company that are specifically looking for you know a specific style that turns them on whether it be a victorian or early first period house that's extremely primitive everybody's got a little hot button that turns them on and the more authentic the interior and exterior of that property the more excited those folks are and 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 on the interior portion of the market yes exterior as well absolutely yeah. so uh, let's say the old moldings uh and and bringing it up to today's 
it's not a design, but it's a uh, it's a style for today's living. Uh, what's your opinion about people that paint over um, wood that that may have never been painted? Sure. Well, it's it's kind of a misnomer that um, a lot of 18th century architecture um, had natural wood. We, I've I've been in, as you can imagine, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of historic properties throughout New England, and occasionally we will find a room uh, that has uh, never been painted, or. Um, elements in the room that have never been painted. And those certainly should be treated um, with respect. There's also murals uh, in houses that were done by, you know, early itinerant painters, some of them famous and some not so famous. Um, So there's a lot of surfaces that should be considered, you know, and carefully evaluated before simply painting over. But there was a period in... uh, the resurgence and in interest in early American architecture um, that probably started as early as the 30s and into the 40s and 50s, where people thought it was appropriate to remove paint from woodwork. So upon careful examination, one will find that there's a lot of houses that were stripped of their original paint on the interior, um, and over time, um, our uh, trend has been to look at that and say, oh, that's how uh, 18th century architecture was. It was dark and had a lot of exposed wood. And that's not really the case. Um, as soon as paint was available and finishes, um, whether it be you know a high-style Georgian house or a simple farmhouse, Almost everything was painted. So I don't get too excited when somebody says they don't like dark wood. Um, Most of the time, that was a 20th century alteration of an earlier version of the house. So, John, you also publish a magazine, um, The Antique Homes. And tell me a little bit about that. We get it here in our brokerage. Um, and uh, it's kind of fascinating to look forward, uh, look forward to, and see and read some of these uh, these things that are written about it. How did that all start? How did you get involved in in uh, producing a magazine? Sure, it was uh, 1995, and I was growing my specialized real estate business, and um, kept getting the answer no from uh, some of our. Uh, larger print publications uh, who decided that they really didn't want to have a specialized section in their uh, daily paper for uh, the promotion of historic properties. So I was kind of at a frustration point with uh, the potential advertising venues that were out there and knew there was a market for it. In New England alone, there's over a $3 billion a year market in historic properties. So it's not a, not a tiny market, but it's a, it's a specialized market. Um, so with that in mind, I, I uh, was right at the beginning of desktop publishing, and we, uh, 
I teamed up with a good graphic artist and we came up with the concept. Started in Massachusetts, but quickly grew to New England. And now our uh, digital version, antiquehomesmagazine.com, services the whole country. So it's it's a like like any specialized uh, print publication. You have uh, an avid group of folks that uh, are excited about a specific uh, topic, and old house lovers are certainly uh, uh, very interested in the articles. The uh, looking at all the houses, they we we certainly call it eye candy. Um, and people read it front to back and uh, educate themselves about what's on the market and um, what's going on in the historic home market in general. So, so uh, John, speaking speaking of Maine, uh, we have a question from one of our readers. Uh, Kathy Colton from Kenny Bunk uh, is asking, I have a house... It, this is appropriate because it's Halloween here. We we did two shows on Halloween, so here we go. I have a house that I'm going to sell, and it has a ghost. Do I need to disclose that, and does it hurt or help the potential sales price? Well, I'm I'm not really certain of the real estate laws in the state of Maine. Um, I I always ask my clients when they disclose that they think they have a, a ghost or a, uh, some type of apparition, whether it's friendly or not. I look at it from a marketing standpoint. So if it's a, an interesting, friendly, happy story, then sure, it's uh, certainly something to include in the marketing materials. If you have a home in Salem? With that, but that's uh, you know a personal decision that I think every individual has to make. If you have a home in Salem, Massachusetts, and it has a ghost, you have just doubled your value <laughs> in the home. There you go. And, and uh, unless it's a poltergeist that throws plates at your face <laughs> exactly. during, during dinner, <laughs> exactly, uh, or keeps you up at night. You know, red room, red room. Uh, but it, uh, that's a different story. Uh, the laws here in Massachusetts is if you are asked and you know you have to disclose. So I don't know what the laws are in Maine uh, with that. But Have you ever been asked if this house is If there was haunted? a ghost, no. Have you ever been asked, has anybody died here? Yes. Yes. That's, yeah, a, and that's, you a, that's a common one. Yeah, and, and, or, or murdered, you know. And, and you have to disclose that if you're asked. But here's the issue if you don't disclose that. If you don't disclose that and that house closes, that next-door neighbor is going to come over the next day and say, hey, did you hear about the ghost? <laughs> did the broker tell you? Yeah, yeah, and then then you're in a whole lot of trouble. But the, if they didn't ask, you don't have to disclose. So, um, so John, how many um, uh, copies of each magazine? It comes out monthly, doesn't it? Um, we we publish five times a year. Um, okay. We have a winter edition that'll be coming out uh, uh, at the end of November, and that carries through to February. The um, we we print enough magazines to cover all of New England. Um, it's where our our print run right now is around twenty thousand copies. So in a in a big city, they're hard to find. But we try to distribute them at every real estate office that we're aware of in New England, which is a lot of uh, a lot of addresses. 
Um, they also can be found at historic sites, uh, historic inns and hotels, uh, some bookstores, and places where we think old house lovers are going to be hanging out. Libraries? Stores and antique shows. So. Libraries, John? Yeah, there's quite a few libraries. Um, as you know, space is always a, uh, an issue. So we're, we're in, um, I would say, a third of the public libraries in Massachusetts and uh, throughout New England. Do you have a favorite style of home, you personally? Well, um, after living in a center chimney colonial, I'll tell you that that really has a great floor plan. Uh, you know, having the ability, my, you have uh, the house is massed around a center chimney with multiple fireplaces, and it really creates a great flow. Um, so I'm I'm probably smitten with the 18th century. Um, although I I have to tell you I've lived in a whole lot of different uh, revival style homes and found them quite endearing as well. So if you love architecture and you love old, you uh, you find uh, interesting things about all the different styles. So there's uh, antique homes all over the country. Um also all over the world. Do you, do you have um, many listings coming in from other states or even other countries? Well, we're, we've, we've been a New England-based uh, company. We rebuilt our website um, a little over a year ago, and we are um, beginning to uh, gather properties from other marketplaces. Um, as you know, mid-Atlantic states are quite uh, rich in their architectural heritage and even when you venture out to the middle of the country you'll find uh, Greek revivals and on the west coast there's Victorian architecture as well as um, now um, craftsmen and uh, green and green inspired uh, prairie style architecture so there's there's a plethora of interesting properties and in, uh, different parts of the country. A lot of Victorians and uh, as they come in Colorado and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and San Francisco. There's, there's some neat stuff out there. And remember, as we um, the things that were uh, new houses when I was a baby are now becoming uh, historic in their own right. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. So that's a good question. So um, you know, as time goes on, uh, what's your definition of what an antique home is? Sure. The, um, I, I kind of use the guidelines for eligibility uh, for National Register, which are several. One is, um, is it a recognized architectural style um, of significance? Two, um, just like um, any, any other unique situation, if the property has a provenance with um, a significant person or and uh, a significant historical event or has local significance for the community, it can be considered historic. The National Register considers that anything that is over the 50 years of age is potentially eligible. Um, so that brings in some of our newer houses, such as... Um, 
you know, the uh, post-war uh, architecture, uh, capes and ranches, which have elements that uh, people are starting to restore, believe it or not. So, uh, so if George it, Washington it's an slept there? question, because, you know, we get called all the time, even with reproductions, and, you know, is it appropriate? Um, so I think the real question is, is it architecturally intact? Is it a recognizable style? And, you know, if it was associated with some historical event, it may have importance in its own right. Um, so if George Washington slept there, uh, that counts? Well, Absolutely. I, well, that I've would be an old two house. properties that we have letters from George Washington um, when he was on his uh, long tour of the United States uh, in the 1790s. Um, he was a great traveler, so he liked to get out there and, I guess, glad him the, the, the populace. Um, so it's quite interesting. So, so John, let, let me interrupt. So, so my question really is, uh, so as time goes on, let's say uh, 20, 30 years from now, and now we're looking at a 100-year-old house, and it's a, uh, it's a multi-level contemporary that we would say, you know, in some communities like in Newton, Massachusetts, if it was on a 15,000-square-foot lot, it would be torn down. But now it's a hundred years old. Is that then an antique home, or is it just because it's that style? It's not an antique home. Well, here's how I would posit it. Let's let's see what exists in that time period. Um, most houses that were built um, between 1960 and the current time do not have a life expectancy um, of a hundred years unfortunately. Um, we moved from um, a building materials schedule that certainly buildings, it was, it was built into the, uh, the structure itself for the building to last. But there was a move towards functional utility um, that meant that the buildings really had a useful life of 30 to 50 years. So It'll be interesting to see what's around. I may not be here to see it, but uh, my kids will or my grandchildren will. And we'll let them decide as, uh, as to what uh, is significant and important. And I think if they use the same um, considerations, you know, was it impactful? The, uh, the, the, the ranch house is now considered a recognized architectural style. Um, from the post-war period. There's a huge movement uh, in mid-century modern right now, both in collecting furniture. Good architecture is good architecture, and if it speaks to uh, a group of people and has interest and scholars as well, um, so be it. And we'll, the, the jury is still out on our more modern, functional, utilitarian homes that are have been constructed in the latter half of the uh, 20th century. Okay, John. Uh, Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers. Online, go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. 
Also, um, if you're listening to us and you want to see um, more about what we're doing and listen to more of our shows, it's broker-talk.com. I want to thank John for joining us today and sharing uh, incredible information about antique homes. Thank you so much, John. It's a real pleasure. It's a great show. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. Thank you for joining us. This is Jim Lowenstern signing off. And Larry Lawfer, thanks for listening. Till next week, hit him with a high.